Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest sitting on our couch today. This is like a conversation with clients kind of yep, scenario. conversation with thing. clients. Liz is my client. And for anyone who listens religiously to our episodes, I've actually mentioned her before because uh, so, so. in the episode where we spoke with Matt and Sam mm-hmm. from about therapeutic relationships. It was a good episode. It was a good episode. And Sam was talking talking about how she has made friends with clients um, because I asked the question, you know, have you ever sort of blurred those lines and actually become friends with one of your clients? And she said, yeah, you know, at my age, being in my mid thirties, it's not always easy to meet people that you actually like and you connect with. And so I started thinking about who of my, well, I don't know, I guess it depends on your personality and working in a job like ours. I'm asking you. Okay. Well, working working in a job like ours, I think it was not about it wasn't just about it being hard to meet people. It's she works by herself, just like I work by myself. So who do I meet? My clients. Who does she meet? Her clients. Otherwise, especially now, we're all locked down. We can't okay, do anything. Asking, anyway, so I said, I started thinking about my clients and is there anyone that I feel like I would get along with if they if they weren't paying me to hang out with them for an hour? <laughs> and I thought of Liz because um, Mark always comments the fact that anytime you come in for a treatment, all he hears is giggling from the room. And I was like, yeah, we have That's some true. pretty That's fun with conversations. my headphones on, too. I got That's my true. headphones on. I'm either editing a podcast or I'm listening to something. All I hear is... We giggle for an entire hour. And you know what? I will, I will without going into the... Uh, patient and therapist confidentiality thing, I will say majority of the time, the reason we're giggling is because we've come to realize that her and I mean, her partner is also a client of mine, her and her partner deal with a lot of the same conversations and have a lot of the same disagreements as you and I. So we just laugh like we seem to handle yeah. things exactly the same. And you and him seem to handle things exactly when the did same partner become the word. I'm old. So I don't know when when it became partner for me. It was always like boyfriend, girlfriend, man, friend, lady, friend. When did it become partner? It became partner at some point, And I don't know when that happened. Um, I remember someone saying to me and I don't know, Liz, you can weigh in on this. But I remember someone saying to me that when you reach a certain age, it sounds silly to say like this is my boyfriend. I mean, yeah. especially you and him have you live together. We you know, together. like you're and I do. I, I often have to rethink whether I want to say boyfriend or partner. <laughs> <laughs> what do you normally refer to him as? I just said partner because I feel like that's always it a safe like term. A grown up thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do. I say boyfriend, and then I forget that I'm like in my thirties, and I'm just like, it, it makes me feel like I'm I'm twenty twenty one or something. Like I'm fifteen. I think it's boyfriend. okay to say boyfriend. Man friend. Man friend. Yeah. Man friend. I don't know. Man friend. But I'm also weird like that too. Like I don't like being called a man. Like I'm a guy. I'm not a man. I'm not a boy. What's the difference? Um, a certain level of maturity, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just he hasn't not, reached that yet. <laughs> no, I, and I and I that's something I hope to never get to. I do not want to reach man status. I want to be guy status. Guy status. forever. Why are you smiling like that? <laughs> As I look at your salt and pepper beard. <laughs> Yeah, but it's still it's still guy because it's just, we had this conversation on the podcast before. Like we don't know where females fit. For me, it's just an age classification. You're you're a boy, then you're like you're a dude, then you're like a guy, and then you're like a man, right? And then for females, I always get hell for this. Like you're a girl, and then at some point you're gonna be like I don't know, like a chick. <laughs> <laughs> then then I think I would want to go woman than lady, but. 
Anyway, forget it. So if you are not yet a man, I don't like being. Does that mean that I'm not yet a woman? I'm a chick. No, 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 no. Because I'm younger than you are. You're you're a woman. You're not a lady yet. Thank you. I don't think you're gonna. I don't think you're gonna hit lady (laughs) until like you're like late fifties. Then you might become a lady. I got some time. Anyone listening, please address the hate mail to Mark. Did I say something hateful? Did I really? No, I'm just kidding. Is chick bad? I don't know. Uh, some people it's might just, not like that too much. It's just an age classification. It's an age classification. And you know what? I think that women in general, I don't know if it's changed, but women in general, I don't think want to be classified by their age mm. because, you know, it's it's... I'm putting in air quotes like rude to ask a woman her age or her weight or is that still rude? I don't know. See, I don't know. I See, don't know. This is what I don't understand. You, you're not allowed to talk about your your salary or are you? Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right? What are the rules these there days? Are no, it's so fucking weird. Like, you got to say partner instead of boyfriend, but I can't I can't ask you how much you make. Like, I don't fucking get it. I don't understand anything anymore. <laughs> well, I think partner is also just the more politically correct way to say because um, – you know, gender classification is one, is yeah. more important these days. Like with, you know, a lot of people not identifying with either gender, it's just safer and more respectful to say partner because then you could be male, female, neither. Like it, it doesn't right. matter. Mm-hmm. So partner is always safe. That's usually the way I address someone, even if I That's know that idea, they're yes. legally married, right? I don't even necessarily say husband and wife unless they have said like, this is my wife or this is because I have clients who refer to their legal spouse as partner. partner. So we'll just stick with partner. I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's why we giggle because her and her boyfriend slash partner slash guy, guy, guy friend, man, man friend. friend. <laughs> man friend. <laughs> they have so many of the same conversations that you and I do that we just giggle. We just giggle for an entire hour. Mark's like, fuck, what are you telling her? <laughs> Liz might know more about you than you realize. <laughs> I feel like I know you. Really? I'm trying to think back at, at our conversations. I'm like, what are our conversations like that? That Well, just as an example, her partner told me today that, uh, you know, he feels now in, you know, in his 30s and his mid 30s that Christmas is really more about kids. Like adults don't get excitement out of Christmas. He said, in fact, that Christmas is more stressful for adults. And I, you know, yeah. like I said to you, Liz, I agree with you that a lot of adults think that way. But I don't think that way because I genuinely enjoy buying gifts for people and I'm super organized so that usually by the Christmas rush, I've already done any shopping I need to do or I have a plan or things have been ordered. Like I'm very organized that way. And he was like, oh, I guess we're just different that way. He's like, usually I'm, you know, thinking about going out to buy Liz a present like a couple days before Christmas. I'm like, that's exactly what Mark does. Mark will usually go out on Christmas Eve and buy me something. Because I, <laughs> because I can't, I can't keep it in. If I buy something, I, 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 I want to give it to you right away. So if I buy something three weeks before, you're getting it three weeks before and then I got nothing to give you on Christmas. <laughs> So I that do in fact it. happened this year. It happens, it happens yeah. every year. Actually, that happened. That happened. It happens with us too. It happens with birthdays. It, it happens with Christmas. It happens anytime there's a gift that's going to happen. Do you remember your proposal? Yeah, I walked around with that fucking ring. <laughs> Because I didn't want to just leave it at home. He had a plan to propose on a Friday evening, and he had this whole plan. But I picked it up. But on he like picked a it Wednesday. up on a no. You picked it up on a Thursday morning or late and late morning, early Thursday early night. Of, Thursday night. Yeah. I know because I walked around with it all day long. I'm like, this just it's in my pocket, and I'm like, I'm not gonna. I'm not just gonna leave it at home. 
So what am I going to do? Walk around with this thing in my pocket for another freaking day? You wore it around your neck. Remember no, no, you were no. moving. Was... But remember you were moving furniture that day at work, and you you put it around your neck, like on a, a chain or something. No, I put it in a bag. It, in a bag. I, I wore because I was moving office furniture that day, and I had it in my pocket in this the box in the pocket, and I'm like, this is going to fucking wreck the the wreck this box. So I went and got like a fucking bag, <laughs> and I just put this one this one <laughs> ring box in the bag, and I just wore the bag for the rest of the day. It was such a fucking disaster. <laughs> I'm like, I so never want to He do couldn't that. hold it in. He yeah. had to propose that very night. Yep, so, yep. yes. I love that. I was like, here, you take it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, totally I don't want to hold this anymore. <laughs> anyway, so we should actually introduce why we're here and why we're having a conversation with one of my clients. So, Liz has been a client of mine since I want to say 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. We met uh, when I was working at another location and she followed me here and eventually brought her man friend to be my client as well. And over the years, um, most of the time when she comes in... Wait, did you follow her from the Midtown location? or this? No, no, no. Okay, Scarborough okay. location. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, but over say, the a, that's years... That's a serious follow. If I, I have people from the Midtown just, location that I'm come just here. just making observations. I don't know. <laughs> um, but she, you know, when she'd come in with, you know, this ache here, this hip problem, this back problem, this shoulder problem. And, you know, of course, I want to figure out how did this happen? What's going on? What's going on with your body? I got to learn that Liz has a very interesting job. And part of why she's sore all the time is because of this <laughs> very interesting job. And so just recently in the last couple of weeks, we were talking and I said, you know, I like to have people on the podcast that have nothing to do with massage therapy that just have interesting careers mm -hmm. and to find out a little bit about one, how you got into this, why you got into this and maybe just open people's eyes a little bit about what's going on. I think this is a good one to talk about during this season because I'm sure this is this is the time of year I think that people are thinking more about you know people that are in these kind of situations that you work with so I'm being a little bit um, vague right now Liz works in a men's shelter and works specifically with people who are in a program dealing with alcohol addiction and it is not an easy job and I think a lot of people probably couldn't do it or wouldn't want to do it and I know based on the state of her body that it's <laughs> physically taxing as well yeah. and uh, and you work shifts, right? So sometimes I see her, she comes in here at 10 in the morning and she hasn't been to sleep yet. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Did you go to school for this? Yeah, I did. Where did you where did you take at school? Um, I took a social service worker over at Sheridan College. Cool. Yeah. It's accelerated or an accelerated course. I want to say it's learning how to be nice to people, but that's, you know, it looks different for everybody. Well, let's start right at the beginning. Maybe for anyone listening, um, yeah. brief introduction about yourself, you know, like how how long you've been working in this field and maybe what motivated you to get into this. Because again, social service work is, I, I worked at a college for a little while and we had a social service work Private program. College, yeah. And I do feel it was like a community. Um, it, when I first started, there, it was called social service actually. And okay. then it had to change. And I think it was because of something with. It's because of that. Yeah. Um, but I did notice that majority of people who were coming in to apply for that program, there was usually a motivating factor of why they wanted to do this. It wasn't usually something people just decided like, oh, this sounds kind of cool because it it is hard work. So let's introduce you a little bit, a oh. little background on you. Okay. Um, so I guess I, I, why did I go into this? I, I, I think what keeps me there is meeting a bunch of different people, a whole lot of different people with lives where you wouldn't even imagine or you would say that's totally made up that that didn't happen to you no and a lot of the people that I work with especially now they've probably lived like 50 different lives they've had to like 
a hundred different jobs. And so they've met a whole bunch of different people too. And it's just sort of like, they're like the sum of all the people they've met. Um, and I think what, you know, why I got into it. Well, I think there is a history of mental health in my family. So that was sort of what, you know, I kind of wanted to understand. I kind of wanted to learn how to navigate through difficult times. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, and I think it's also just wanting to help people learn how to navigate through their own mental health. Mm-hmm. And now these days, you know, it's not so taboo. Everyone does have um, struggles with mental health at one point or another. I-, I think every day it's sort of just like a new set of problems or a new set of issues or a new set of a new conversation about mm-hmm. something different. How long have you been doing this job for, this type of work? Um, I think about 10 years now. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go into social service work straight from high school or was this like a second career option for you? I did a few courses in psych. It was too theoretical for me. I didn't know how I was going to apply it, what when I was going to use any of it. And so I switched, I actually switched to college courses. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of gave me a more, um, it sort of, it was more practical, mm-hmm. right? How to use your body language, nonverbal cues, and sort of how to how to navigate through different conversations and sort of what to expect in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So I, like, I'll always advocate for, for college courses because they work for me. And um, it was, it's also just a, sort of like a different kind of learning. Yeah, for sure. So you started out in university in psych. Yeah. Um, I have a minor in psych. I did really enjoy my psych classes, but I understand what you're saying. Like it was very much, you know, lecture and textbooks and yeah. it's, it is very theoretical, which is university in general. Right. Yeah. And so if you were looking for, you know, I want to actually make a career of this, I, I can understand why you would switch to college. How long did you attend university for? Three years. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you almost had I'm a fucking almost, degree. I know. So now, now I'm ready to go. <laughs> like now I'm just sort of like, okay, I, let's do this. I, I yeah. know what yeah, yeah. What that I'm makes doing. sense. I get it. So, do you think you'll go back and finish the degree? I might. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, think I might. Where did you go to university? York. Uh, okay. Mark went to York. Yeah. But when I went there, it was a lot smaller than it is now. Big campus. <laughs> yeah. I drove by, I don't know, a month and a half ago, maybe, just to see. I was like, what the hell? Like, I remember when this was a parking lot or this area here was like a field. I'm like, this this got so big compared to when I was there. And it was already big when I was there. Remember when you and I drove through Western Campus and I didn't recognize any of it? Like, it was as if, I, and it might not look any different. It was as if I never went there. Like, university is such a blur to me that <laughs> we were driving around the campus and I couldn't even even tell them which way to turn to go where i'm like i think that was my my biology building like (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i was lost every day that i was there i was lost every day and it was like i would be late for class like at york yeah did you drive or uh, i did both you did both because well the parking situation is a fucking mess like you park so fucking far and you gotta hope that there's a spot that's in the lot and then by the time you just like run across campus you're like i'm fucking late like i barely parked my car properly and i'm late like i should have just stayed home (laughs) yeah no and there were there were days i gave up i gave up it was be it would be like I don't want to walk across. I'm just going home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I would get like <laughs> snow plows moving the bus stops down. I was like, forget it. I just, I'm just going to go to sleep right here. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so let me ask you a question with this work. Do you have to have experience, personal experience to do this job? No, it does help. It's hard to see when you talk about like experience. It's even for my team, we all have different kinds of experiences, right. whether it's homelessness, drug use, abuse, sexual right. abuse, whatever, mental health, any of that. We all have collectively different experiences so it certainly does help but i mean 
even uh, really at the end of the day, sort of all you really have to do is just care about the people right? right? Yeah, and care about their well-being. And it shows. And I've had clients who say like it shows when you care. Yeah. And they're not interested in your background. They're not interested in your experience. They just want to know that you're there for them. All right, let's do this. Can we do this? Can we go through a very typical day for you? <laughs> and then can we also go through a very atypical day for you? Before you do that, is there such thing as a typical there day for you? That's why I laughed. I laughed. I laughed. I mean, there's this. There's a daily things you got to go through, serving lunches, doing your wake-up calls, doing your patrols and everything. Everything in between that, it's up to the gods. It really is. It's up to the universe. And we don't we don't use the word quiet. I knock on wood every time. Okay, okay. Just, okay. So so yeah. just so I so you work in a shelter. This is a homeless shelter, specifically for males and specifically for people who have substance abuse problems. Um yeah. And um alcohol alcohol dependence. Okay. So what is say like your role at this place? I help with daily sort of like the daily operations, whatever it is that they need, whether they need um whether they need information, whether if they need a referral to somewhere or, mm -hmm. you know, if like I'll help serve meals or if they need a towel, if they need their bedding change, like whatever it is, it's, I just sort of, me and my team will help run the floor on it, like with the day-to-day -day kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, like, you know, um, fights break out. Sometimes overdoses happen. We attend those as well. Um, but really every day we're sort of like, what is our job? We we don't like. There's a job description, yes, but what is that job description? It's basically what it, what I say. So it would be like de-escalation. It would right. be um, sometimes it's even just walking up and down the hallways and like talking to people. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, I can't tell you off the top of my head exactly what the job because it's like 25 lines. <laughs> Yeah, 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 but that's um, the, the. I just want to know the the basic idea. Yeah, yeah. But then the uh, the actual duties are really different than the job description. Would you would say? Yeah, like nothing really. You can look at the job description; it won't prepare you for what the day is actually like. Mm. Um, and there are a there are quite a few people who will take the job, um, work a couple days, and just not show up. Anymore. More wow. just because it's it can get overwhelming if yeah, you, sure. you know, if you don't you kind of have to we always see like you cut you kind of have to drop your beliefs at the door whatever your beliefs are whatever your expectations are you got to drop them at the door mm -hmm. and sort of just be open to what whatever it is that they feel like bringing you today right so yeah a date a daily kind of thing it we don't know like it like I said it would be you know it would be the morning time you would be um you might be doing linen purge and um, serving breakfast, serving wine, serving whatever. Um, in between all of those, a fight might break out. Mm. Or maybe not. We don't know. Right. Um, yeah. Talk to us about, because you you just said uh, serving wine. And I remember when you were describing your job to me, because you are working with people with um, alcohol dependency. So you, part of your job is also to, I guess, safely allow them to have, because it's not just like you're in the shelter and that's it. You don't drink anymore because yeah. that would be ridiculous and yeah, no. nobody could care. So yeah. talk to us about the program a little bit. Like, what is it that you guys do to make sure that everybody's getting, like, is it by dose? Is it by type? Like, talk to me about that. Yeah. Um. So a lot of our guys, they've been drinking for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, a lot of them are people who, you know, 
their stories usually start my my dad gave me a drink at 11 some you know something like that mm-hmm. and um yeah so they they've been they've been drinking for however many years um their dependency is is pretty deep it's pretty strong to the point where they, sometimes they end up drinking non-palatables so rubbing alcohol right, right, right. listerine purell and the way our program works is we do serve beer or wine they they are prescriptions so it's assessed by a doctor and mm. then their counselor um and they get servings about every hour and a half most most of our guys um the doctors will decide if they get 12 servings a day, six servings a day, what have you. Mm-hmm. That's up to them. So then they'll line up, we serve them their wine, and the goal of it is to keep them off the non-palatables, okay. right? Um, so it's basically saying, yeah, okay, we're going to we're gonna give you drinks, but drink this instead of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's to keep you safe, it's to keep your liver a little bit, a little bit healthier. And so by the end of the shift, yeah, you do get some guys who are pretty intoxicated and you know, we do have to make a judgment call about whether we want to serve them again. All right. And it's not perfect. The 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 idea behind it is for harm reduction. Right. Um, which is always controversial. You can talk about harm reduction for days. Um, that is the idea behind it, is, is harm reduction. What's the controversy behind that? Some people don't believe in it. Some people think that we're basically... Enabling. Enabling. Okay. Um, and it it's also around... It looks different for everybody. Like when I say what's the what's the controversy is is the argument that this doesn't work is the argument that this is a bad idea is the argument that this costs just way too much money. Like what's the argument? All of it. Yeah. All of that. So it's some people believe it doesn't work because it is also allowing the clients to determine their own destiny. Okay. Which people believe if you are addicted, then you don't have that ability. Um, there is money that's been put into safe injection sites if you're going to go into like substance use and everything. Right. Um, and it's also around the safety of the public as well, allowing addicts, quote unquote addicts, to continue to be addicts. But I, I mean, I would assume that there's like some really good data to to show that this is a good thing, right? So I, this is what I mean. I just don't. I understand the personal argument that might exist, but if the data shows that this is the harm reduction is definitely a benefit. Let's just shift over and look at parallel COVID nineteen. Okay. Like just looking at that. Sure, there can be data to support anything. And there's always going to be people who will say, yeah, but what about this, 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 and this? And, you know, as Liz said, this isn't perfect. A, a program it's like this isn't per- perfect. It, it, it is impossible because you're dealing with people yeah. and people are going to react to things differently no matter mm-hmm. what you do. So at this point, I mean, what they're doing, they're, um, the program that Liz works for is by referral only. So yeah. not any, you know, alcoholic yes. can come yes, in and say right. like, I, you know, I want to be part of this program. It's usually, you know, there's been some sort sort of call usually to law enforcement because maybe they have, you know, destroyed property or some sort of public disturbance or whatever. And, you know, they end up sort of in the system that way. And then they can be referred to this program to try to keep them off the streets and possibly save themselves or someone else. Or and, And again, it's harm reduction. So if they're there with Liz getting the prescribed amount of alcohol per day, they're not on the streets drinking exactly. Purell and exactly. destroying property. Right. Right? right, right, And I think, I mean, even, um, you know, and it doesn't work all the time. It doesn't work every day. Sometimes with a certain client, it'll work on Tuesday and it won't work on Friday. Right. Um, and it, so it's, it is, it's, it's sort of, 
it can be hit and miss and it can be it it really does vary there's really no predictability to it mm-hmm. um but i think the idea is in general we're just trying to keep you safe mm-hmm. as safe as possible and that makes sense to me that's what a community does it looks out for each other mm-hmm. was this this place where you've ended up now working with these particular clients was this something you could have seen for yourself, you know, 10 years ago when you got into this? No, not in a million years. <laughs> where did you where did you start in social service? Uh, I started working with youth, actually. So I started working with youth doing after school programming, which is totally different <laughs> in some ways. In some ways, it's not. And I ended up actually the same organization I worked with when I was doing after school programs. They also had um, they also ran a shelter for young moms. So I switched over to that program. And then from that program, I worked at a respite. So it was a co-ed respite. There was, it was very low barrier. So anyone could have come in. You could have been dependent on substances or you could have been working and just homeless. And so Mm -hmm. I worked with that population and then actually, so now I'm at the men's shelter. So a lot of different transitions, a lot of different populations. Yeah, but I never I serving drinks at work. No, I never would have thought I was going to be doing that at all. So how did this did it just fall into your lap like there was a job opening and you thought, "Hey, I could do this." Did somebody recommend you for it? How did you end up here? It was a job opening and it was just for the position itself. It wasn't for the actual program. And so I applied for the position. I thought I was going to be working at sort of another respite and they actually sent me to this program. So, um, and I, I'm, I'm glad, I mean, this, this program is different than any program I've worked with. Um, I've, I've actually learned a lot. I've learned a lot about the population as well. Um, what'd you learn? I learned actually that the population I work with, they, a lot of them are, are seniors. They're not, they're really not different than anyone else that I've, that I've worked with. I think I've gained more insight into the male experience, the co- what we were talking about being a man, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And the expectations that are put on them. Also, I believe that the the way that mental health and addiction is was seen back then when they were younger, when they were in their 30s and 20s, so different than how we see it now. Mm-hmm. And I... I believe that a lot of these men got married with the idea of I'm going to man up and I'm going to do this and that and the other, never taking into consideration their own substance abuse, like their own their own dependency on alcohol and thinking that they were just going to be able to push it aside. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't they weren't even really supporting themselves through that. And so I feel like a lot of the times it was hard for them to ask their wives to support them through it. So it was it was just the idea of what a wife and a husband were supposed to be and how do you make space for addiction in that. Mm-hmm. And you know, they'll never they'll never talk they'll never talk about it that way, but I think every day I I end up seeing the pressure that it takes to sort of be quote unquote like the successful man or the perfect husband or what have you. So I actually ended like I, I gained empathy for that population. So even when we talk about you guys, she's empathetic. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> You're not laughing at okay, we are laughing at so no, no, I'm just joking. Well Liz I'm, is I'm Liz is very though. much okay Liz is very much like me in terms of like just liking things clean and she's she's organized and so 
Um, remember back in the lockdown, I did that joke Facebook post where I said, anybody else's uh, partner, I think I even used the word partner, anybody else's partner promised to do the dishes and then three hours later you're doing them because they just didn't. And she commented immediately and she's like, why do you know my life? Like, <laughs> yep. yeah. As there were dishes sitting in my sink. Right. <laughs> but, you know, as as you're talking about this, like working with these these men, these seniors, and you're saying, you know, back then this these pressures to be a man that does still exist to an extent just it's as different. it just as it is different but it does still exist to an extent just dudes as now don't even have to be dudes okay but like, like I, <laughs> you take you take a family with a husband and a wife and kids i feel like if we i, I mean i don't i'm i'm pulling this out of thin air it's not like i have stats on this but i feel like statistically yes. it probably is still and i've talked about this before and said don't send me hate mail but i feel like statistically it's still like the men who are the earners they they have a bigger income yes a lot of families have um both husband and wife working but usually yes. it's the men that makes the money yes. the woman takes care of the house and so i can imagine there still does exist that pressure as the man of, of like course. i've got to make of the course. money and i mean you and i have this discussion all the time where you're like i'm constantly torn because you got to be here you got to be doing the shit and you got to be making the money but then you feel like you know you're not helping me at home so that pressure does still exist mm -hmm. and so yeah i imagine 40 50 years ago this was really heavy and if you were the man to come to your wife and say i just can't i can't cope i can't handle this your wife would probably be like yeah i'm taking care of six kids like go fuck yourself yeah. figure it out yeah and a lot of our guys don't even have the vocabulary to say that you know even up to now mm -hmm. uh, being after having been in a shelter for 20 years they still would never be able to say i can't do this mm -hmm. it is pride and i don't i don't say pride in in a bad way, it hurts them to say that because whatever it is that they were taught of what a man was. Mm -hmm. You're not weak. You're not weak. Yeah. You don't ask for help. You yeah. do for yourself. Right. And so they, even up to today, they, a lot of our guys will still like, you know, have their chests out. And a lot of the times I want to, it's okay. Like, let me know what it is that you need. It's, it's, it's like pulling teeth still. Yeah. You know, so, but it's, it's taught me, it's taught me a lot. Like, and it's taught me to have a lot more compassion for men who are, and understanding that men have their own struggles, mm -hmm. you know, let them work at their own pace, whatever it is that they need. You ever find yourself in physical danger? Yeah. When you got offered this position, was this ever a consideration like, maybe I don't want to do this. Maybe, maybe this is going to increase my potential for physical harm compared to some of the other places that I was at? Oddly enough, no. It's, you know, I, I kind of walked into it knowing what it could be. Um, you do always hope that you have a good team behind you um, and a team who will sort of step up, which I do. I'm I'm always grateful for that. Um, yeah, there have been a few times, more than a few times that, you know, I have had to sort of, we, we've had to physically restrain guys. Even I think it was just what it was like a couple of weeks ago where I had someone backhand me in the face and we put him out and all that stuff. But mm -hmm. you kind of do have to walk into it knowing. And that's why I say it's a typical day. I have no idea. It's not to say that it's a very dangerous place. We always yep. do our best to to de-escalate guys verbally, talk to them first. Sometimes they're just beyond that, you know, and it is what it is. But I don't know how you do it. I, I have no idea. And I'll tell you what I mean by this. I volunteered for the Pan Am Games to be field to play medical staff. And then I, when I went back to when I was working, because I was working at a school teaching, and then I was also working in clinics. And when I would go back to after this two weeks volunteering thing that I did, everyone's like, was it fun? Was it great? I'm like, yeah, it was, it was awesome. But some days were boring. 
but boring days were good days at that job, right? So if if you had a boring day, it meant no one got injured, yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to tape anyone, you didn't have to do therapy on anybody, you didn't have to do emergency care. That's a good day at work, a boring day at work. And I'm like, I don't even know how the fuck, you know, because you don't have boring days at work. No, right? we don't. We don't. And I mean, you know, it's sort of a trade off because there are days where, yeah, someone will get physical, and there are days when. It, and I don't want I don't want for this to sound demeaning, but a lot of because a lot of our guys are um, are seniors and their bodies are breaking down. Yeah, they might shit their pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they might shit the mm-hmm. floor. You know, some days I'll walk in and there is shit. There is shit on the floor. Yes, mm. and so it's there is like it's our <laughs> the job is just if you aren't in a threat of maybe someone wanting to punch your face out then you might end up having to help someone with their diaper. Right, right, right. right. And so it's but it, you know what it's 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 interesting because I genuinely like these guys. These guys are such characters mm. and every day I'm always sort of like I can't believe they're real people. Mm. <laughs> you know, and they're 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 funny and they're honest and they're real and they will tell like if they will tell you to go fuck yourself. But then, you know, half an hour later they're calling you miss and ma'am and all of that. And it's not personal. It's because they're just, you know, our guys are like, they get upset. They go, they take a walk, they come back. Mm-hmm. Ma'am, I'm very sorry. And it's like, it's yeah, that's okay. Don't worry. That takes a, a really, um, it, it takes a very specific type of person to deal with that too and not take things personally and be able oh, to yeah. understand like, it's like dealing with children. I know this is such a weird parallel, but it's like not. it's dealing with, with with a child is sometimes, you know, you got to deal with these emotions and understand like from this child's perspective, what yeah. they just dealt with and what they're going through and what must be going through their head and all their emotions that they don't know how, to, you know, they can't verbalize what they're feeling and why they're, you know, they might be frustrated, but they don't know what frustrated means. And so being able to understand what they're dealing with and then like let them play it out yep. and then, okay, now we can start over again. Mm-hmm. And not, you know, freaking out or, you know, being demeaning or treating them them badly. I'm not talking about kids anymore. I'm talking about your clients. But it would be, I think, challenging for some people to have that empathy. You know, there's I've, I've realized as an adult that a lot of people can't understand that not everybody has the same point of view as you. Not everybody thinks the same way as you. Not everyone's had the same experiences as you do. So like when you were saying, when you get to work, you got to throw your beliefs sort of out the door and just be willing and open to whatever is going to come your way. You don't know what this person's entire life has been. Well, I guess now, you know, you know them pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you've now said twice, I can't believe, you know, these are real people. This is real. (laughs) So, you know, obviously without giving away client information too much in confidentiality, but like, can you tell us, you know, like some, at least one or two of crazy things that you've heard, like, like things that these people have experienced in their life to maybe make people understand like this, this is real and this is a lived experience of somebody. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've had people who, um, I I think one of them was, you know, they used to be like a hell's angels or they were like affiliated to hell's angels. Mm -hmm. And so when you hear that, you're kind of like, Oh, these guys, you know, it's organized crime. And, And when you talk to them, it's like, they, I guess I don't, I don't want to be demeaning, but I guess it's that, Drinking has taken such a toll on their brains yeah. that, you know, they sort of almost become one dimensional characters. They have things that they, that they will say over and over. And that's basically, you know, um, I have a guy who we always kind of joke because 
he has maybe all of five lines that he'll say. It's, yes, no, I did. And maybe, you know, can I get a whatever it is that he's asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so he'll come to the window and he'll say, uh, can I get a banana? Yeah, okay. And then we'll be like, did you fix the roof? Yes, I did. <laughs> and he has no idea what it is, but he's just saying that he did right, right, right. just to kind of get you out of his face, you know? Um, we have another guy who I think he might actually have um, Tourette's, but he loves to call everybody fuckface. <laughs> and that like, and so when you- Maybe I have Tourette's. <laughs> <laughs> but when you kind of first start working, you're like, did he really just, he's, yeah, he called you fuckface. And it'll be like, um, repeatedly, he likes to ask for Tylenol. So it's, in the morning, it'll be 7.30. And it's, Can I get a Tylenol? Can I get a Tylenol? Can I get a Tylenol? <laughs> and you kind of tell him, no, you got you got to wait. Can I get a Tylenol? No, you got to wait. Okay, fuck face. And he kind of just walks away. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, okay. And you don't know whether you should be upset. Like, can you tell him not to call you? I don't I don't know. So it's just, you know, and when he doesn't want to talk to you anymore, it'll be like, bye-bye. And that's, <laughs> you know, and so that's why I, I can't believe these are real people because it's just, these. they're almost like characters that you would see on TV, right, kind of right, like right. side characters to break the tension. No, they. That's that's everybody. So that's how they are. Every day. Oh wow! So I mean, it is. It's 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 interesting because they, you know, you get a different combination of the guys every day, and oddly enough, they actually make fun of each other. So it'll be, you know, the guy with Tourette's is making fun of the guy who says yes, who's making fun <laughs> of the guy. And it's, yeah, it's a total, you know. But it's it's funny. It's it's oh my god. <laughs> I remember when you first told me your job and where you worked. And I remember thinking like, that sounds kind of depressing, but now you're making it sound very fun. <laughs> it's, it, it's, fu it, it's funny. It can be depressing. It can, it can definitely, but then you, you have to find the humor because otherwise it's, you exactly. know, what else, what else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? I, you can't, you won't last in the job. Are there any clients that you've worked with over um, the last few years that like, that you kind of have like a relationship with, not like, you know, like your buddies and you're going to talk after work or anything, but like that, you know, they, they're like excited when Liz shows up for a shift and like, they want to talk to you. And, you know, are there people that like you look forward to seeing and, you know, you know a lot about them. They're open with you. Yeah. There's, there's a few of them. I mean, I think some of them I'm still sort of trying to get to know. Right. So just because a lot of my team, they've been there for probably over 20 years. So I'm, I'm a little bit newer, mm -hmm. but yeah, there's probably a handful of them that, um, so for instance, like when I'm serving, when I'm serving wine, um, I like to play, I'll play them their music, you know, and I'll kind of pick a playlist and, um, sort of just blast it and for that 15 minutes and they kind of, so yeah, so they kind of always say like, you know, I know when the Beatles are playing that you're the one that's serving. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. So, you know, so I, and then I'll change it up and I'll play something else. I'm like, oh, we didn't know that. Yeah, I know because the Beatles weren't playing. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, there's a few of them. And then there's a few of them that I actually look forward to. I guess I look forward to having like a conversation with them about their drinking, mm. you know, and I come to expect, you know, I think today this guy might walk in with some Listerine and what am I going to say to him today and what what conversation so I kind of like to try different different things and see what works and see if I can sort of get somewhere with some of the guys um and then yeah there are some guys that I just I I love just kind of coming there and saying oh like I'm going to read you your horoscope today you know and so we I kind of have like these little things with all of the all of the guys and 
um, I'm still working towards like the rest of the, and you can't always catch all the clients, right? You can't right. always, not every client, and I, I'm, this is going to be so, but like not every client can be the special client. <laughs> Some clients are, um, you know, it's, you just, you just won't make that connection. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Um, as long as their needs are still getting met. So, yeah. Yeah. How many guys are in this program? I think now it's probably about 65. Okay. Um, they've cut it down for social distancing. I think before that it was close to like maybe 120. So a lot of the programs, and, and this is in a lot of the shelters too, they've kind of cut down their numbers. Um, I think at some point, at some point, most of the programs are down to like 60. Some of the programs were running at 400. And they had to cut down to like 70 or something. So this like that, is so. might sound like a stupid and it's might be a question that I don't know if I want the answer to because it might be rather depressing. What happens to the 50% of the people that got cut out of the program? Yeah. So they, um, I know that there were a few sites that got, that were opened up during the year I got redeployed to uh, a recreation center, which was repurposed into a respite. So they did open up a few new programs, um, there are some hotel programs that got opened up too. Mm-hmm. That's causing a lot of controversy um, in the neighborhood, just because you know some of the programs got where they were opened up in neighborhoods that didn't have homeless shelters, like like uh, Young and Eglinton, right? Young and Eglinton now, yep. like on Rohampton, yep. the hotel, yep. the hotel. Oh, the hotel that we used to live next oh, to. The, uh, residents in that area are fucking freaking out yep. because oh. because things like break-ins have gone up like crazy. And there's a in lot of schools in that neighborhood. Yeah. That neighborhood is every, residents are fucking not happy. Yeah, so that that created a lot of controversy. Where I got sent to, same thing. It was literally residents were there being, you know, not in my backyard. I understand both sides. I understand both sides because you know you want to look out for the safety yep. of your family, of your neighbors, and everything. Um, but just like you said, where did those guys go? Where do they go? Yeah. So it's it's hard. It's hard. It is hard too. And like somebody like you, Liz, you work with these clients. So you, as you said, you realized they're just people. They are people who, you know, they've got substance dependency and it's, you know, it is a mental health issue. It's not, I I think, I think again, people are starting to view it more this way rather than it's like, well, they just need to fucking stop drinking and, you know, Mm -hmm. be responsible, take care of yourself. And it's not as simple as that, obviously. And they are people. And if you don't work with these types of populations, it's very easy. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but this is what happens. It's very easy to be like, I don't want them around because, yeah, yeah, there is then an increased risk of break-ins. Why? Because they don't have anything. It's out of necessity. There is an increased risk of violence. Why? Well, because they're on whatever they're on, whatever substance they're using. So they're not clear mind and you know somebody might be walking down the street and call your kid a fuck face and you don't necessarily want i'm sorry i yeah, love that and maybe face. they just want some tylenol <laughs> yeah they just want some tylenol so they're gonna call you a fuck face yeah yeah i know and i think i think too it's it's hard because it's it's two different lifestyles coming together basically right so something something's gonna something's gonna give at that point um and yeah, sometimes it is it is addiction. Sometimes it is, you know, like things like alcohol dependency or just people trying to get their needs met. And sometimes it is a lifestyle that just isn't going to turn overnight because you're in a nice neighborhood, yeah. you know, and a nice neighborhood looks like opportunity. Um, and it's uh, it's unfortunate, but there are also a lot of things that if you're going to change your lifestyle that you have to unlearn. Um, there's going to be traumas that you're going to sort of have to work through to know that 
okay, this isn't working anymore. Let's try something different. And different is always scary. So, you know, and not everyone is up for being scared. Uh, not everyone is looking to change their lifestyle. Right. And some people are just looking to to stay status quo until until the end of their last day. Right. right, right and right. so um and in all honesty, it it's not all addicts are looking to stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's it's just it's something that it's it's something that they're comfortable with and um some the the dark truth is some people are are biding their time. But Again, it's, you know, putting the new programs into neighborhoods is not, it's, it's, those decisions are on a level that are beyond me, beyond the clients. It's, um, it's not, it's not really their responsibility to decide where they're going to, where they're going to be placed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. How would you feel? Like if we still lived in that neighborhood and we were living three doors down from a hotel that had a program where you knew there were potentially dangerous addicts that were going to be there and we've got small children well i would just get out that's just me and that's because of the kids if it, yeah. if, if it wasn't kids then i wouldn't it wouldn't bother me to be honest with you but if there's children and my children then, then I'm yeah out. well like liz said i can see both sides and you know even when people were freaking out about safe injections uh, injection sites and things like that it's i see both sides you know we they're What's the alternative? Needles yeah. everywhere is what yeah. the alternative is. Right. How has going to work been in 2020? Yeah, what's what's COVID done other than the number change? It's It's been interesting. Um, I think when it first came out, I was, I was kind of terrified. Um, I wasn't out on the floor with the guys as much, you know. Um, we do all, we do have to wear our PPE. We do have to have our masks. Um, we have to put our gowns on. We're screening clients every day, twice a day. Um, their daily routines have been different. So we're asking all the guys to sort of, um, if you're eating, don't eat so close to each other and all of that. The transient population, it is hard to get them to social distance because mm-hmm. health is not necessarily their first priority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of our guys were walking around sick before, like before COVID and they wouldn't even know it. So that is sort of how out of touch with their bodies they are. I guess now these days, I mean, aside from the population, it's, I'd say, yeah, I'd say like, you know, just encouraging people to kind of stay a little further away from each other. But most of the changes are on the staff side. So the way that we kind of have to operate. So um, I guess it's just we're not switching through. So sometimes when it comes to shift work, we can work different programs. We don't do that so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, I guess the number of people in the offices. There was there was an outbreak where I was working, and that was that's when it sort of really hit home because it was my team, it was my members, and you know it kind of it wasn't necessarily that we were all sort of like okay, get away from me. It was like, are you okay? Which mm-hmm. was I'm you know I'm really glad because. Um, it gets easy to forget how vulnerable we are sometimes just because for me, like we've been working all year and um, personally, my routine hasn't changed too much. And I, I, I feel fortunate with that. I am still able to sort of socialize with my coworkers if I need to, I'm able to socialize with my clients if I need to. So I'm not so isolated, but yeah, I think, I think it is always sort of because we're out there, it is always sort of at the back of our minds. Like, 
make sure we're washing our hands, make mm-hmm. sure that, you know, all of those things. So what does your partner think of uh, what you do and has it changed since COVID? My man friend. Your man friend. <laughs> I wanted to be all mature. You guys called me out on it. <laughs> um, your boyfriend. <laughs> my boyfriend, my friend. He's, I mean, you know, he's been really supportive. I can't, I can't really say that, you know, he's, he's been, he's sort of just wanting to make sure that I'm safe. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he does, he's sort of like, yeah, you're the frontline worker, I, you know, kind of thing. But um, for the most part, you know, he's just sort of been like, as long as you're safe, yeah. then I'm I'm good with it. I'm happy. So I know, you know, when I reopened and you guys came back to see me, he said exactly what you said. You know, he goes, we were lucky in the sense that our income didn't change, you know, like, you know, Liz was still going to work every day because she's an essential worker. And he's like, but in the same and, you know, at the same time, Liz was going to work every day. Like, yeah. you know, there was this sort of like fear, I think, at the beginning with him, like you're going out there and, you know, who are you interacting with? Yeah, and we yeah, still, yeah. so he was definitely pretty afraid at first, but then also, I guess, as you said, supportive, like, you know, this is your job. This is what you do. And as long as you're being safe. But yeah, he was like, yeah, she's going to work every day, but she's going to work every day. (laughs) It's like I saw I saw in one of the massage therapy groups, someone posted uh, something along the lines of someone was coming for a massage and they're, they're friendly, whoever the therapist is and the client. And the client was telling the therapist how they went down to tent city and they were helping feed people. They brought a whole bunch of food down and they ended up, embracing people because people like so thankful like giving hugs and stuff and then but she's like yeah and i'm i'm coming to my massage appointment i'll see you soon and she was like what is this a good thing is this this something i should be worried about that type of thing yeah yeah and i think that's one of the things that i kind of maybe i butchered that but (laughs) i probably should have read it before i talked about it personally I kind of have to walk around thinking I might be a hazard. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm, that's where it's sort of like, it really is important. Like I am very, just letting you know. Oh, I already, I already know. I already trust you. I mean, you, but, she answers my uh, COVID pre-screening questions before I send them. Like if I, because usually I, I try to send them within 48 hours or like, you know, in the last few weeks I've been seeing you weekly. So it, you know, yeah. we just do it sort of as we book the next week appointment. Right, right, right. But uh, usually if I haven't sent them like 48 hours before, she's sending me a message. She's like, uh, hello, no to all your questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, but you know, it's, it is like, we do sort of have to be diligent about like the typical, like wiping down our surfaces right, right, and right. all of that stuff. And, um, yeah. And I think, so you were asking like with the guys, it was sort of, you know, it's like, wash your hands before you come to wine line, wash your hands before and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, but it does, like, I kind of, I kind of do have to sort of be cognizant of where I'm going, who I'm going to see and all right. of that because our, I, I work with a transient population. So yeah. And sometimes they don't know when they're sick. I think we had one guy who said, oh, um, well, he like he had gone to jail and he came back and he's a senior. And um, I think he like dementia might be setting in. And he kind of went, I think um, I think at jail I saw the doctors and I think they took a piece of my brain out because I can't smell anything and I can't taste anything. <sighs> and that was, yeah, again, like yeah. they, they don't know when they're sick. Right, right. And I said, can you repeat that for me? And so we, tr- you know, we gave him we kind of tested it out. We gave him like um, a muffin smeared with blueberry jam and we gave it to him 
And he ate it and he said, oh, that's very good. And we said, oh, you can taste it. He goes, oh, no, I can't taste anything. So what did you think it tasted like? Strawberries? And we were like, no, no. So, you know, we, yeah, so we we ended up having to sort of send him out to get tested and everything. But it's just your, your radar is a little bit heightened kind of thing. So that would be a little bit terrifying i think especially in the beginning and that's you know like i said i remember your man friend saying exactly that to me like he was like you know he's happy and you know proud of you that you're going to work every day on one hand on the other hand he's you know because he's working from home he's like fuck like she's out there again and we don't know who you're coming into contact with and you're coming into contact with people who aren't necessarily so concerned about their health or even aware of what's going on with their body um so you said you've had outbreaks where like you're so have you had to isolate at all have you come into contact with anyone or you've been lucky enough to not have that issue i was i was lucky because i wasn't on the shift with those with the team members Mm -hmm. um but we did like we got tested right away right after um everyone who was on that shift had to isolate so it was yeah it kind of kind of hit home it was um i think it was about four or five of our team members which is a good third of our team um, and I mean, again, it, it, you know, there was a lot of conversation around it. And again, we kind of had to come back to, you don't know where you might get it. You don't know who, out of the five of you, you don't know which one, which, which of you brought it in. And, um, unfortunately, like some people have to work two, two or three jobs too, to kind of continue to support their family. And so even at that, it's sort of like, you don't know where the source is. Mm-hmm. And then there was, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, um, questions about are should you be allowed to work two jobs should you and you can't tell someone not to make money it's it's hard yeah. right although i think that's happening a I, lot I think that's happening a lot yeah, yeah. exactly and it's, it's that's exactly what it is you know of course people people are going to try and find ways to continue to you can't tell someone not to feed their kids mm-hmm. you know yeah. so people are going to find ways around it or they're just going to fight back and do it anyways. Do your friends and family think you're crazy for doing this job or are they like super proud? They're like, yeah, she's doing some good in the world. I, I think it's both. <laughs> yeah. I think it's both. I think, you know, at first they were sort of like, you don't go into work if you don't have to. And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to go in. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they were, you know, they're, they're, they're proud and, you know, they're worried and they check in all the time. They're like, how is everything going at work? Are you, it's, you know, the questions are, are you, are you making sure you're washing your hands? Are you, mm-hmm. you know, is everyone safe there? And it's, you know, I'm kind of like, no, we're good. I'm good. Don't worry. Yeah. So. Well, prior to uh, this year, I know because I've known you for a few years that you were really, really close with like nieces and nephews. And since all this has started, you're not seeing them at yeah. all, are you? No. That's weird, right? It is weird. It is weird. And I think during the first lockdown, it was it was emotional mm-hmm. um, because I was used to seeing them every week, maybe. And, you know, and so now it's sort of like we it's the way from the window kind of thing. And yeah, it was it was it was, it was kind of sad. And I think even now it's like I know even during um, when the lockdown sort of let up. I still kind of kept my distance. Mm-hmm. And when everyone else got to hug their family, I was sort of like, no, let's, 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 let's not. stick to our stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was, it, it is, it was kind of sad. It was, and I think I mean, even my dad, you know, my dad was sort of like, okay, so 
I think he gave me a fist bump or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, so that's what we're doing. Now, so. He's got to protect himself. You exactly. got to protect him. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I mean, someone's got to, but. Uh, is that not the exact line I said to you <laughs> when she she got a treatment right before we recorded? Yeah. And um, I said to her close to the end of the treatment, I said, so you you ready to sit behind a mic and talk about your work? And she's like, uh, and I was like, you know, I have to be honest with you. Like, I'm excited about this because I don't know how you do it. And I was like, yeah. but I guess somebody's got to do this work. But you know what? I think I think if you are able to I, I I don't find it I find it challenging, but I don't think it's impossible just because I think if you're able to see the good in someone or understand that every you know every behavior comes from somewhere mm-hmm. it it's it makes it a whole lot easier. So are there men in this program? are they also are some of them in counseling? Is there counseling at the facility or this is strictly just it's not counseling it's it's more like case management okay so it's you know um with the idea that hopefully someday like everyone will get housed right um and you know sort of putting there are case managers who will refer you to counselors okay unfortunately again like you know it's 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 men in counseling it's still a sort of a work in progress mm-hmm. so a lot of our a lot of our guys are not interested and um because a lot of them are also not mobile um it's hard for them to to kind of want to make their way over. Right. Um, honestly, a lot of our guys haven't even left our floor in about 15 years. So to get them to sort of go down the street across the city or whatever to go see someone and talk about their feelings, right, 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 not right. going to happen. Yeah. But I mean, that's where, you know, at the very least, like in our positions, what we can do is kind of encourage positive relationships. Show them that, you know, like people like you, you're a likable guy. You know, mm-hmm. do you have any clients that are, I'm trying to think of like the nice way to say this. Like, do you have any that are just like, fuck, like a pain in your ass oh, and you're yeah. like, I just what? can't deal with this person. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. There are guys who, um, and this is, <laughs> there are guys, cause a lot of our guys are in, are in wheelchairs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are guys who will take total advantage of that, total advantage of that. And, um, we have one guy who I think because of his drug use, um, he, sh- he shakes mm-hmm. his hands are his hands are shaky. And so when I tell this story, you know, people are probably like, Oh, it's so sad, you know, but he's, he's a dick. Like he's an absolute <laughs> asshole. And he complains about, he'll complain about the food and he'll complain and people, you know, Oh, it's because of it. No, he's just, he's just entitled. And, and I'll say it, he's just entitled. I'm sure he has his traumas and I'm sure he has, mm-hmm. but he is one guy that I just, I just do not mesh with. So he, needs assistance eating. So, you know, we have a PSW who will come in and feed him and he will take full advantage of this PSW saying, oh, um, I want an extra this and I want an extra that. And he just wants everything brought right, to him. Right, right. On top of that, he will not wake up. Um, he won't wake up on time for breakfast. He'll still try and sleep in and we got to go and wake him up. And, you know, there I think there are a few days where he was restricted off our floor the most peaceful days. <laughs> the most peaceful days. I will let other people work with him. Just because it's 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 you know, my conversation will not be will it won't get anywhere. Right. And everyone has their difficult days, right? And everyone um it's it's, it's a diff- it is a difficult population to work with. Of course, like there are there are days where I'm like, I I I don't want to look at you anymore. I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm don't I'm not the one today. I'm not the one today. 
but yeah, no, they and they um there definitely are guys who even the guys who um I the guy who backhanded me, he's in a wheelchair. Oh, I put him out. I <laughs> was like, you know, if if I if if I wasn't at risk for losing, I'd be like, I if you ever hit me again, I will. Mm. <laughs> you know? But yeah, for sure. For sure. It's crazy. Yeah. And like I was saying to her, you know, there's every job there's parts of it that some people are like, oh, I don't know how you do it. Like I was joking with her and saying, you know, I have people who say to me, like, you touch people's naked bodies all day. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I touch yeah. their their butts and their feet too. Like it's, you know, yeah. I, and this is just something where I feel like once you get into a certain type of work, you just get used to, you know, PSW's jobs are very difficult. Nurses' jobs are very difficult. Your job's very difficult. Uh, psychotherapist's job's very difficult. Like every every type of job yeah. has its challenges. And I guess it's, you know, if you've got the type of personality like you that you can see the good in people and you want to help them and then great. I'm glad there's people like you. I don't think I could do it. That would be That would be a lot. So saying that, do you see yourself continuing on in in this role for a long time? Are you looking to move within the field? What are your plans? Where do you see yourself in five years? That's Mark's favorite question. <laughs> I hate that question. <laughs> we ask it, but I don't like asking. That That's a good question. I mean, I, I still feel like I have so much to learn frontline. Um, and like I said, every day, because every day is so different, mm -hmm. you know, I never get bored. I never had like, I, a boring day is a day where nothing happens and nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets drugged. Nobody is sworn at me. Yeah. So, and it's going to sound like I love abuse, but it's, it, I, I don't, it's just, I, I don't know. I feel like coming, moving up from this, it would be a lot of administrative work, which, Meh. Not interested. Meh, yeah. Probably not. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think I do think I probably am going to spend a few more years in frontline just because you know at the end of the day I always have a story to tell, mm -hmm. and my man friend is tired of my stories. But <laughs> <laughs> before I even get my jacket off, this happened and that happened. He's like, "You want to go take a shower, maybe?" Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Anything else you want to learn no, about I'm Liz's job? I'm blown away by it. I'm always fascinated with this type of work and dealing with this population. I'm like, because I, I, I'm not capable. And, and thank God that people like you walk around this earth because... No, people like you take care of people like me. <laughs> Is there any useful information that you could leave for... Um, like I think I had mentioned to you when I first asked you to come on the podcast, I said, you know, like I know during the winter, my heart breaks, you know, when I'm driving and I see, you know, somebody in the freezing cold asking for change for food or whatever. Are there places like links or resources that you have for people who want to maybe like donate blankets or where, how to, how to help this type of population that, you know, maybe needs some extra help, especially right now when it's minus a million outside. I usually tell people it's probably better to donate to the closest shelter mm. as opposed, I think people like to donate to Value Village and Goodwill or if they're still open and um, salvation, all of uh, that, which is, which is, you know, it's fine. It's good. At least it's, you're reusing your stuff, but Usually, those get sold. Sold off, yeah. right? So, I always say, like, I'll always encourage people to just donate to the closest shelter. Um, if that shelter isn't taking, you know, your donations, try and ask them for one that will take their donations. Just because then that goes, that actually goes right straight to the clients. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the times, it's like 
they with transient population their clothes get worn out so quickly yeah that you know within a week they probably need something new socks underwear all that like it gets worn out so quickly mm-hmm. um and usually like i know for me firsthand i'm scrambling to try and find something that'll fit them um so yeah it's in winter time donate to your shelters if nothing else. That's what I got to do. I've got some blankets lying around that I've been holding on to purposely because they're super warm and I was just waiting to find oh, out where to bring them. therapists always have this stuff. They're, it's it's always like, where can I donate this? Where can I donate my sheets and my blankets and yeah. stuff like yep. you see it all the time on Facebook. I got lots of stuff. So we'll talk off mic because for today, we're not going to say which shelter Liz works in, <laughs> but they're everywhere, right? So mm-hmm. just find the closest shelter to you if you have clothes, men's clothes, women's clothes, children, like anything. And I agree with you. I think it's much better used there than Value Village or Salvation Army where it's going to get sold. So just my two cents. Well, thank you for agreeing to hang out after yes, your massage. Thank you. <laughs> this yeah, this was really good. I feel like I, I I do nothing in the world right now, but no. <laughs> <laughs> but but this is awesome. I, I, honestly, I mean that. Like this is I I couldn't do the work you you do. That's it. Well, ditto, ditto. Because <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming on. Thank you. You guys have been listening to two massage therapists in a microphone. Peace. <laughs>